Our text today is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Here, as I read from the gospel, let me follow along on the large screens or in your own Bibles. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As the speed of technology has increased over the last 30 years or so, so has the expectation that everything should come quickly in an instant. Like if we're in a hurry, we can run by Little Caesars and get a hot and now pizza or two and some breadsticks. We don't even have to let them know we're coming. In an instant, it will be there. They have done enough work that they kind of know what kind of pizza people want and they have them hot and ready for us to pick up. When LeBron James went to the Lakers this year, there was an expectation of instant success. Missing the playoffs? Not even a possibility. Hmm. And if an NFL coach doesn't start to win in a couple of years, there is chatter about his replacement. No one desires to take time to rebuild these days. And two-day delivery? That's from the Stone Age. We want our shipment in two hours or less. We expect immediate responses to our text messages. If we don't get a response in a few seconds or a minute, we wonder, what's wrong? And we want instant gratification from the likes on our Instagrams and our Facebook posts and so forth. We want immediate response. The first house of a young couple today is more expensive than the last house their parents ever owned. 
Saving up and paying cash for things like furniture or appliances or a car, that's unheard of these days. That's old-fashioned, people say. People want it, and they want it now, and they will charge it and run up debt and pay interest on things like food, groceries, and other things. Now, I do understand there are some people who are in hardship, and they, they don't have a choice. That's a, that's a situation some find themselves in. But generally, many Americans would rather buy it instantly and pay interest than save and pay cash later. Forbes magazine had an article that says the average U.S. household at the end of 2018 has an average of $8,284 in credit card debt, a 2% increase from the prior year. In total, Americans have $974.2 billion in credit card debt. The current household debt load is less than $200 away from being unsustainable. American credit card debt is nearing its highest point since the Great Recession and could top it in the next year. The article said 30 years ago in 1988, this is December of 2018, the average American's household debt hovered at $2,000. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with owning nice things. There's nothing wrong with having quick and effective communication and using social media as a, as a tool, a helpful tool. And it's fine to strive for success on and off the playing field. But at what expense often? Instant gratification will always leave us hungry for more. And we can end up sacrificing our souls for the good things that are good, but for the wrong reason. Perhaps as we enter into this Lenten season this year, we can connect with the early Christians who perhaps were on to something when they began the practice of Lent, which counters the mindset of instant gratification. A writer for Liturgy Letter, which is a worship blog I, I follow, provides some background on the season. Maybe you're from a different tradition, or maybe as you, in the Baptist church you grew up in, y'all didn't practice Lent or talk about it. The tradition of Lent can be traced back to the second century. The writer says, during this season, new Christians would prepare for baptism through a season of fasting and study. By the year 325 AD, the time of preparation had been extended to 40 days, and entire congregations practiced Lenten disciplines as a sign of Christian discipleship. Church consensus determined that the period of renewal should correspond with the 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus himself spent in the wilderness. Hence the Lenten fast of 40 days, excluding Sundays. The Christians counted back from Easter, excluding Sundays, to determine the time frame of the Lenten journey. This past Wednesday, we started our own journey on Ash Wednesday and our Ash Wednesday service. The writer continues saying there's a bright sadness to the Lenten journey, a distinct awareness begun with ashes that we indeed are frail. We take an honest look at ourselves. We are called to embrace humility and, and, and repentance instead of hubris and pride. Ashes remind us of our own mortality and need of forgiveness. 
we are on this journey toward Easter. What begins with ashes ends with resurrection. As Christians, we don't have to join this consumeristic culture of rush and anxiety and instant gratification. The Lenten season can be for us a springtime of the soul, a time of slow growth and spiritual maturation. We don't have to fall into the trap that we need to have all we want and have it now and go into debt to pay for it. In the face of our society's superficial and seductive style of success, Christianity challenges us to take the long view and focus on eternity. This is sort of what Eugene Peterson's getting after in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Christ's 40-day fast occurred immediately after his baptism. Thus, at the beginning of his public ministry, he came face to face with evil and temptation and experienced a foretaste of that which would happen on Calvary's hill. Jesus was not alone in his struggle with evil and temptation. You remember Moses faced 40 days on the mountain without food. Exodus 34, 28 talks about that. Elijah the prophet ran from the evil queen Jezebel for 40 days and 40 nights. Finally, he reached the mountain of God and hid in the cave waiting on God to speak. And you know that God did speak in a still, small voice. And Israel, the nation, God's people, faced a 40-year struggle in the wilderness where they faced strife, lack of food, lack of water, and longed to return to Egypt. They wanted to get rid of Moses, their leader, and go back where it was comfortable and predictable. If you read through Matthew and Mark's Gospels, you'll also find the accounts of the temptation of Jesus. It's not included in John. Mark's Gospel summarizes it in just a sentence or two. Luke and Matthew give much more information. But all three accounts are very clear. Jesus, the Son of the living God, fully divine, fully human, God in the flesh, was tempted just as we are. And because of that, he is able to identify with the depths of the human condition. The writer reminds us, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that though Jesus was tempted, he was without sin. In Hebrews 4.15, hear this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. As we join Jesus in the wilderness, we want to remember that Jesus, though he was tempted, was led by the Spirit. There's no question who was in control, who was sovereign. Verse 1 said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. This is echoed in his baptism, restated here in verse 1, led by the Spirit in the desert. And the verb in the Greek here is better translated perhaps that he was continually led by the Spirit. There was never a time during this temptation in the wilderness or any other time for that matter that Jesus was not led by the Spirit. God was the one who was sovereign over it all. God allowed it to happen. God doesn't tempt us, but God does allow us to experience temptation. 
James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. The adversary came to Jesus in the wilderness and is the one who brought the temptation. This happened in the wilderness of Judah. On the Bible map in front of you, it's to the the far right of the screen, just to the west of the Dead Sea. This area is bleak, it is barren, it is dry, arid, no vegetation. All Jesus would have seen for miles and miles was the limestone and were the limestone and chalk hills with no vegetation. Luke tells us that Jesus ate nothing for his 40 days in this desolate place. Some scholars believe that he went without water, and I believe that. I believe that Jesus went without food and water for 40 days and 40 nights. This was something that only he could endure. No normal human being could endure such punishment. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. He was been famished. And Luke reports that he was tempted the entire time and that the tempter's name was the devil. The Greek word is diabolos. You've heard the word diabolical. Diabolos, translated slanderer, accuser, adversary, liar, or Satan. Satan comes from the Greek transliteration of the Old Testament, Hasatan. However, whatever name he is given here in Luke's gospel, it is the devil, the adversary. And the way the diabolos seeks to change our wills is by living, by stretching the truth. Generally, diabolos entices us not with great evils, but with good things for the wrong reasons. As we look through the temptations of Christ, there wasn't anything bad about each one of them, but they were for good things for the wrong reasons. I want to look at the three temptations that Jesus faced, and let's see how he responded, and I hope that we can draw some application today as we go through periods of trial and temptation. The first test is in verses 3 and 4. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. In this temptation and the ones that followed, the adversary, the devil, acknowledged who Jesus was. In the Greek, this is a first-class conditional verb. It supposes a truth. In, In the literal Greek, it might read like this. Since you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Or... If you're the son of God, and you are, tell this stone to become bread. The devil knows exactly who Jesus is as the son of God. There are other passages in Scripture where even the demons obeyed him because they knew who he was. The devil tempted Jesus to satisfy his own hunger, to abuse the authority that he had been given by God, and Jesus trusted in God's word to overcome the temptation. Man does not live on bread alone but by the power of God. The second test comes in verses 5 through 8, where the devil led Jesus to a high place, a mountain. There's a a mountain called the Mount of Temptation in the Holy Land that many believe 
is the mountain where Jesus was taken in this time. It also could have been in his journey mentally during this wilderness experience. Whether it's that or physical mountain, it's the same situation. The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. You can have all of this. He said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, Jesus responded again with the word of God. He said, it is written. And anytime you hear that word, it is written, he's referring back to the Old Testament scriptures in the law. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is not going to give in. And he relies on God's word and power to sustain him. He does not yield. He does not give in to temptation. And then in the third test, verses 9 through 12, the devil leads him to Jerusalem. You see this journey? Jesus would eventually end up coming to Jerusalem the last day of his life, and he would be crucified on Calvary's hill. Some say this is a foreshadowing of that which is to come. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you're the Son of God, or since you're the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written. And then, and then the devil quotes Scripture. So this is what can happen. Scripture can be used in an inappropriate way to even tempt us. If you're the Son of God, or since you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. And then the devil quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Twisting God's word to try to tempt Jesus and cause him to lose his focus. But Jesus said, do not put your Lord to the test, the Lord your God to the test. Again, relying on the word of God. How tempting would it have been for him to stand on the corner of that wall perhaps the southeast wall of the temple, and look down into the valley below and call on the angels and to show the devil what he could do to abuse his authority. And Jesus, humble, did not. So during this Lenten season, we journey along for 40 days and 40 nights, remembering how Jesus overcame the temptations he experienced in his wilderness experience that we might draw strength ourselves. John Ewing Roberts was one of the founders of the movement, the Alliance of Baptists. It's the movement that started the seminary where I attended, the Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond. And he wrote, when I was a boy, I was told, Baptists don't do Lent. And no one knew why, they just didn't do it. And he says, I suspect that it was an anti-Catholic thing, which I pray we are over. It was the old argument, whatever they do, we don't. A curiously, as he writes, convoluted, twisted, and unhealthy way to decide on religious practices. Whatever the reason for not doing Lent, he writes, I think it's a great loss for any Christian not to compare for Good Friday and Easter. Every spring, 
baseball players prepare for the season with spring training. And who doesn't do spring cleaning so their house is ready for the summer? So why shouldn't Christians prepare for the most important events in Jesus' ministry? What he did for us on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what he did for us on Golgotha's cross, and at the empty tomb. He says, if it helps, think of Lent as a kind of Christian spring training and spring cleaning. It's a time where you and I can gather ourselves and look in the mirror and practice self-reflection, self-examination, and look to the Word of God to help us to overcome the temptation that we experience from the adversary, the devil, the accuser, the slanderer, the liar, whose native language is lies. N.T. Wright, some of you all, if you're teaching, read his commentaries for your class preparation. And in his commentary on this passage, he says, Every Christian will be tempted at points which matter most in her or his life and vocation. It is a central part of Christian vocation to learn and recognize the voices that, a, that whisper attractive lies to us. To distinguish them from the voice of God. To use simple but direct weapons provided in Scripture to rebut the lies with the truth. None of us is exempt from these whispering voices. Every one of us faces temptation, and it's usually unique to our situation. Jesus was famished, and the devil tempted him right where he was vulnerable. We are tempted where we are weak and vulnerable. And we are also tempted where we feel most strong. I often ask men in counseling when I counsel with them, I say, tell me where you are most confident, where you are most secure, where you are most successful, where you're on your A game. And they tell me. And then I say, and that is where you are most vulnerable. Be on your guard. If you travel, for example, I I remember Rick Warren years ago, the pastor out at Saddleback Church, said that when he travels, that he takes his family pictures with him and he places them next to the TV screen and in the bathroom and next to his bedside in in the hotel. It's a constant reminder of his responsibilities and the love that he has for his family. And I encourage people to do that same thing when you travel so that you have a reminder to be strong, and why you should be strong. We will all face temptation. We all face challenge. As we seek to reflect on our lives over this Lenten season, I pray that we will live lives of keen self-awareness, that we rely on God's Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 And may we learn to recognize certain signs to prevent failing or to prevent falling into temptation or relapsing into self-destructive behaviors. Now, if you're taking notes, I invite you to write down an important acronym in your sermon notes section. So open your bulletin and grab a pencil there or a pen and write down this word vertically. 
Halt. H-A-L-T. Halt. In your sermon notes section. And right next to the H, hungry. Next to the A, angry. Next to the L, lonely. Next to the T, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry as Jesus was. Angry, lonely, tired. This comes from the 12-step movement. And they suggest this acronym to remind us to pay attention to times when we are hungry, when we get angry, when we are lonely, and we are tired. Unheeded, these natural human conditions can make us vulnerable to temptation. As ridiculous as it sounds, many of us try not to notice our needs. To admit that I get hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, the list goes on, is to acknowledge that I'm a contingent being leaning on a power beyond me. And some people don't want to admit that. But Jesus, I believe, was driven into full halt mode when the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He experiences the whole chaos of the human condition, our raging thirst for power, prestige, honor, our ravaging hunger for material goods and lives of ease, and our desire to go at it alone, yet never to be alone. All of us will face these times when our crowded lives must be behind, when we must peer into the dark well of our own need, our lust for what we do not have, our weariness with what we do have, our temptation to do and be and possess far beyond our capacity, beyond God's calling for us. Halt can serve as a reminder for all of us that we need to take care of our basic needs every day. When we are hungry, our blood sugar can get out of whack. Our body chemistry, our mind chemistry can get out of whack. And we can be vulnerable to make decisions that we know are not right for us. When we are angry, we can allow that, uh, is it called the, the back part of your brain the, that controls the involuntary things in, in our bodies? Um, that at, that uh, if we're not careful and when we're angry, we can allow that back part of our brain to take over and we can make poor decisions because we're angry. If someone is in recovery and gets angry, they may be tempted to relapse. When we are angry, we need to reach out to someone whom we trust to help us to get through it. When we are lonely, we often can look for relationship in unhealthy places. And it's important for us to let others know that we are lonely. And that's the, one of the beautiful things about the family of God as the church is we have a place that we can call home. And we have people, whether it's your Sunday school teacher or close friends or your staff or someone in your youth group who can help you when you are feeling lonely and journey with you. And when we get tired, often our bodies get run down, beat up. We've been running hard. And we can make poor decisions and be vulnerable to temptation when we're exhausted. So be mindful of this acronym HALT and take time to practice it each day during Lent. It only take a few minutes. 
to slow down, take a deep breath, and ask, how am I doing where halt is concerned? Honestly assessing how we feel and how we're doing. When combined with prayer, God's Word and self-examination, halt can help us to stay true to our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will practice this as we journey through the Lenten season to Easter. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, that you have given us right in Scripture a firsthand account of Jesus' temptation. Who could have learned about this firsthand other than Jesus? Lord, I, I believe that, that he told his account to his disciples and that they have helped it to uh, come to us by having been recorded in Scripture. And that we can truthfully rely on Jesus Christ who is perfect and without sin and relied on your word as he was tempted by the adversary. May we follow in his steps. May we halt, do self-examination, commit to prayer, commit to scripture reading and memorization as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.